All right, check, there we go, there we go, goodness. I'm from West Virginia, don't hold it against me. Um, All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're gonna be in the book of Acts today, chapter eight. Um, We'll start out in verse 26, Acts eight, starting in verse 26, and so we'll get here, uh, get there here in a few minutes. Um, But it's it's really neat to see how God kind of set up uh, this week, uh, especially looking at where we're gonna be at uh, this morning in the scriptures. And so um, we're gonna look at the first mission trip that the church takes, uh, the first missionary mission trip that's taken. And so um, that's what we're gonna look at this morning. But it was neat how God set it up as uh, just over the last few weeks, Brenton and I, my brother-in-law, we've been talking some and just getting to hear his heart about Nepal and his heart of uh, the ministry there and what they'll be doing. And uh, just the 1040 window is phenomenal. The fact that he's gonna go to a place where there's the most unreached people in the world. Oh, I can't remember what he said. I think like two-thirds of our world's population lives in the 1040 window. And so he's, he's gonna go there and he's gonna share the gospel and he's gonna uh, partner uh, with uh, Prim, this, this pastor mission, this godly man to uh, help get the word of God out. I mean, he's planted three churches. And I just, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. Uh, in a place where you can't just go around planting churches, in a, in a country that's uh, really kind of shut off to it. And so uh, this week as we've talked and I've just got to look at what God um, uh, has got for us this morning in the scriptures, um, I, I just think back on my opportunities to go and, and do missions and live out uh, uh, some uh, short-term mission type opportunities. And so there were some very exciting moments on the mission field as I got to go and, uh, and do. Uh, I've been to Mexico, I've been to Guatemala, and so I've had opportunity to go there. There's been some exciting experiences as well as some uh, kind of embarrassing um, uh, times in those places. And so one of the cool things that happened to me whenever I was in Mexico, um, right across the border at El Paso, um, and so we go to Juarez, Mexico, and we're there. And the cool thing is we get to go build a house. We get to go build a house. It's probably about the size, uh, it's probably about a, a 10 by 12. So it's like the size of a, a bedroom. And this is a house for these people uh, in this place to live. And it was a mom who uh, had a lean-to. So it was just two sticks and a tarp is what she lived under. And under that was a, um, a, a, a seat from the back of a van. That was her bed, her couch, her everything in this lean-to. And so we had this opportunity to go and serve and build a 10 by 12 house. And to see, you would have thought we built her a mansion. And so it was phenomenal. She had three kids and they were running around and they were just so excited and so we had the opportunities to do that. Uh, one of the times that I was there, um, it, it was really neat. We took uh, some of the, the, the guys that they were training up, uh, lived live there in the community. We took them and their families to this water park. Don't think like water park. Like, it's not Great Wolf Lodge. Like this is like there's two slides in a pool and, and that's like the water park and they're just ecstatic and it's one of them's birthday and so we get to celebrate with them and we're at this water park and as we're at this water park, uh, there's this aroma that is brewing outside the fence because it was fenced in, it was gated and there was uh, wire, barbed wire and all this stuff and so we're in here and there's this aroma that is not a pleasant aroma um, and so as we smell it, we figure out real quick that it's uh, an illegal substance uh, that they are uh, doing stuff with next door and so as they're doing that, uh, the guy that is over this ministry there in Juarez says, let's go talk to him. I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, let's, let's see what's going on. I'm like, I know what's going on. He's like, let's, let's check it out. I'm like, you from here? I'm not, let's go. So I jump in with him. We walk out around the gate next door and we get to start talking to these, a few of these guys there. And as we get to talk to them, we get to share the gospel and they get saved they get saved and then we come right back over to the, uh, to the water park that's got the pool and two slides and we take them in the water and we baptize them there that day. And I was like, I mean, that is phenomenal. Uh, these two guys that were uh, uh, participating in illegal substances, there in that moment, getting high, they got real high in a brief moment as God saved them and rescues them from their sin. 
We take them over and we continue, they continue out in obedience and baptism. I mean, there's nothing like that. That was just amazing, amazing. Uh, also had some embarrassing moments as, and I think I've told this story before, but as we were in Mexico, we went to this orphanage and it was at this orphanage. Um, we're there and there's this one little girl scared to death. She just will not come out. And so she finally kind of lets her guard down a little bit. She's out. She's like on the outskirts of the fence there, kind of in the, in the orphanage, and we're talking to her. And in that moment, like I said, no Spanish at all here. I struggle with English. English is my first language, and I struggle with it. And so as we're talking, I, I say a word, and apparently the word I say is not a good word because I call her a, a little female doggy. And, and what does she do? She runs back off. And they're like, crazy, crazy dude over there. Don't, oh, no, he's no. And so, so that, embarrassing. The second embarrassing thing is while we're there, we're leaving, and as we're leaving, um, I look at him, I'm like, mi casa, su casa, which is not a good thing to say at an orphanage because what that means is my house is your house. And so they think that everybody get on the bus. Like, they're ready to come back to the U.S. Like, they're ready to go. And so uh, crazy, crazy things, crazy things has happened. I didn't get to bring any of them home. Um, I, would have, I would have in a moment, but um, no, didn't get to. But just to see God work and move on the mission field in places where the gospel is so needed. The gospel is needed everywhere, but in places where the gospel isn't readily available for everyone like it is for us. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. So we're gonna look this morning at the first ever mission trip. And so in the scriptures, you're gonna see uh, really what we talked about last week, you'll see this taking place, this happening. God uses this ordinary believer, this ordinary Christian, Philip. He's not an apostle or church leader, nothing special about him. He's just a man that's godly, a man that's seeking God, a man that God rescues from his sin and saves him, and he uses him to take the gospel to the first foreigner in the book of Acts. And so we're going to see how the, the Spirit of God here uh, has been preparing Philip, how he's been preparing this foreigner and then he brings the two together because that's what God does. He prepares, he prepares, and then he puts out opportunity and God puts them in the great commission, his most basic call to follow him everywhere. That's what he does with Philip. That's what he's doing with us, church. And so the word missionary never appears in the Bible. That's the word that we've created. That's the word that we've made up to help us understand what it means to go out and share the gospel, what it means to go to, to, to those lands where the gospel is not readily available. And so missionary is a word that we've created, but the word sent ones does appear frequently in the Bible. And I believe it applies to every disciple of Jesus Christ. I believe sent ones applies to every single person that comes to faith in Jesus Christ as we enter into the great commission with him to go make disciples of all peoples everywhere. And so involvement in missions is not something you do later. It's not something that you work your way up to. It's not something that you get to or it's not something that you graduate into. By no means, God puts it in the original call to follow him to the nations. The great commission is a missional statement for every believer everywhere. First in my town, then the following towns, the world is what the call of missions is for the believer. So I'm gonna ask you if you join me as we pray and then we'll jump into Acts chapter eight. God, help us this morning hear from you. God, stir in us this morning to hear from you. God, there may be some in this room that is wrestling with this thought of missions. Do I go? God, where are you gonna send me? God, there may be some in this room that, is, that has felt that call to go and be in another place. And so God, I pray for those this morning here, God, what you're gonna do in this place. God, first and foremost for every believer, God, I pray that you solidify, God, and that you confirm the call in our heart to be mission-minded, to be gospel-minded, to go and share your word everywhere we go. Make disciples everywhere we go. 
So God, for every believer here, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us see that, help us get that picture of how important and great the gospel is. And God, for those that maybe are wrestling with, do I go, do I not go? God, I pray that you would just press them and that you would show them, God, exactly what you wanna do. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. In your name we pray, amen. So what we have here is we've left Philip in, uh, in the middle of a revival in Samaria. He, he's left there. He's not going to be there. And so you have Peter and John. They end up coming in. You've got these church leaders, and, and they're called in to kind of validate everything that has happened. And so now it's time for Philip to move on. God has given him a different order, a different call to go. And, and so I just love how God just l- uses the cutting edge on the front lines of God is, is just lay people, just average people who love Jesus. Nothing special about any of us, and that's who God uses here. It's not a church leader. It's not, a, um, uh, it's not an elder. It's just a man who is obedient to the call of God. And so uh, Philip brings in the apostles uh, for support. Thereafter, he shared the gospel after God has done a, a mighty work there in Samaria. And so then he takes off, and this is what we've got here in Acts eight twenty six. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. It's a deserted place is what it is. And so Gaza is this little nasty out-of-the-way town. Out-of-the-way town. You wouldn't go through that way to get anywhere, really. It was a Philistine city, and so you've got Gaza here. It's nasty, dirty, a little town filled with a ton of Philistine-type people. And so this would be out of the comfort zone of a Jew, a nice, clean, pure Jew. It would be way out of the comfort zone. Not to mention, it'd be very inconvenient to get there. It's not a route that you would normally take on a trip that you're heading on. And so Philip would have had to walk 165 miles to get where God's telling him to go. 160, like he didn't get like just jump in his car, fill that thing up with gas, we good, I've checked my oil, I've got my steering foot, we're good to go. No, 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 he walks where he's going, 165 miles to get to this place where God has told him to go. And so look at what he does in verse 27. He, he rose and went. And there, there is passing through Gaza was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge, he was in charge of all of her treasure. So today you've got Ethiopian. It's this little small country, very insignificant it would seem. But in that day, Ethiopia was basically uh, everything in Africa south of the Nile River. It's a very huge area, a very huge place, country, and so you've got this guy here, this Ethiopian eunuch. He was, he was a, a treasurer to that entire region. So he holds power and he holds position. It's just not an average Joe kind of guy. Like this is a very important man. And the scripture says this, that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So for whatever reason, there's something stirring inside of him. He's got to find an answer because this is what I know uh, about Ethiopia is that there's plenty of religions there. There's religion that worships the sun. There's a religion, religion that worships the moon, the rain, uh, the fields, the, the crops. There's, there is all kinds of gods in Ethiopia, but for whatever reason, there was something more stirring in his heart, a hunger for something more. So maybe there was something inside of him that told him to go. Maybe there was something inside of him that led him that way, that made him think that maybe these little gods that, that, that my people worship is not the real true God. Maybe there's just something stirring inside of him. And so you've got the eunuch and he's gone to Jerusalem to learn about this God. Verse 28 says this, and he was returning, he's seated in his chariot and he was uh, reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip, So I believe we just need to pause for a moment because I believe this is a really, really good place because I just want to always make us aware of the Spirit's uh, 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 interaction with his people. 
I want to make us aware of how the Spirit moves, of what, what the Spirit of God does in the Scripture. And we've seen the Spirit of God play a huge, huge role in the book of Acts. And I don't know about you, but as I've been reading through, as we've been going through this series, it has just been all over me, the reality of what the Spirit does. You see the Spirit give boldness to Peter as he proclaims and preaches. You see the Spirit move and and just save thousands upon thousands of people. You see the Spirit of God uh, embolden people to obedience. And so the Scripture says here that the Spirit said to Philip. How did the Spirit say to Philip? Scripture doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us what that looks like. It doesn't tell us uh, how that happened. It just says that the Spirit said to Philip in verse 29. But one thing that we see in the book of Acts over and over and over is the Holy Spirit moving, the Holy Spirit speaking to people, moving them to missions. See, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 59 times. And around 40 of those times, he's speaking. Around 40 of those times, he's saying something to his people. The very presence of God in spirit. Uh, give you some examples. Acts 8, 29, as we just read, the spirit said to Philip. Acts 10, 19 says this. The spirit said to Peter, go down and talk to these men. Don't be afraid. Acts 13, 2 says the Holy Spirit said to the church, separate from me Barnabas and Paul for ministry. So we see the spirit speaking over and over and over. And that's just a few examples that I've given you in the book of Acts. So my question to you this morning is this, church. Do you know and walk with the Spirit in that way? Do you know and walk with the Spirit in that way? Are you aware of him speaking to you? See, sometimes in the book of Acts, he speaks through a word of prophecy or through someone in the church. Uh, You'll see him uh, doing it in a divine vision maybe or sometimes it seems to be this yearning of God that he puts in the heart of his people. So are you aware of the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Because as a believer, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. The moment we come to faith in Christ, he indwells us. Now the filling of the Holy Spirit is different. The filling of the Holy Spirit is whereby we empty ourselves of us, we see God, we pray, we read the scriptures, whereby he comes in, there's room for him to invade even more, and the filling of the Holy Spirit is one of those things where he gives us something above ourselves. So maybe it's boldness to speak the gospel in a time where you wouldn't be. Maybe it's boldness to act out something in obedience that maybe normally you would cower down to. Maybe it it could be a number of things. He could press something upon your heart to do, to live out, to walk out even more. So are you aware of the Holy Spirit? Are you aware of him speaking to you? And I know in a Baptist church, it gets kind of a little freaky and weird when we talk about the Holy Spirit. We get really uncomfortable. I think the, the, the illustration that I've given us, like that, that uh, family reunion where your crazy weird uncle comes and you just don't quite know what he's gonna do. I mean, there's a lot of things that he can do and it gets crazy sometimes. It's almost like that's the way we view the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is God moving amongst his creation. And so are you aware of the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Maybe when was the last time you've had a sense of the Holy Spirit moving? When, when he said something to you or maybe he pressed something upon your heart maybe to send you to a place that made no sense. God, why would I, kind of like Philip here, why would I go that way to get where I need to go? Why, why would I go around that? Okay, there's stuff going around. Why would I go that way? Or, or maybe, maybe calling you to do something out of your comfort zone? Sitting in a place you don't normally sit? Eating with a person you don't normally eat? Offering to buy lunch for somebody you don't normally offer to buy lunch for, something like that. Maybe putting something into your heart to say to someone. It it, it happened like this for me this week as I'm trying my best to be more aware. I think the thing is we need to be aware of the Spirit. 
We need to be seeking God to fill us. We need to ask him and we need to pray for him to fill us with his spirit. And so for me this week, there was a gentleman and as I, I kind of come up to him, we're talking, we kind of talk a little bit. And then for me, like I said last week, evangelism, I, like I've got a heart for evangelism, but sometimes it's difficult to share the gospel with people. I mean, how do you enter into that? How do you do that? And so for me, the easiest way is always is, hey man, you go to church anywhere? Because we're good Southern people, right? And we all go to church. One time a year, we're going to church. And so the default answer for someone is, yeah, man, I go to church. And then my follow-up question is, cool, where? And if they struggle to say where or who their pastor is, it kind of lets me know, okay, maybe they don't go to church like they say they go to church. I'm just in between, brother. Okay, okay, cool. And so he tells me where he goes to church. I'm like, man, that's awesome. And so we continue to talk. And I'm like, look, I'm just, I'm just gonna be straight up with you. And I don't know why I did it like this. I don't normally do it like this. But I was just like, I'm just gonna be straight up with you for a second. He's like, yeah, man, what's up? I said, I hope I don't offend you because I don't mean this offensively. And usually when you say that, you, you're gonna say something offensively, right? So I just kind of set him up. And I say, so, so you said you go to church somewhere. And, you, and I told him the name. He told me the name. I'm like, man, that's awesome. I said, but there's a more important question I need to ask you. Because going to church doesn't equate salvation. I said, so do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you come to faith? Is he your savior? And he kind of looks at me and he's like, yeah, man, he sure is. And so we had this opportunity to talk for a few minutes about the gospel and about his church and what God's doing there. And so for me, an easy way to get to that place is just the church question. Because you can break it down from there. It's kind of like that's a non-offensive way to go at it. When really for me, it's just another, I get to follow up question from that. And so for me this week, I just feel like the Holy Spirit pressing upon me. Ask him, ask him, Scott, ask him. And you know what, I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't, there wasn't like signs, there wasn't like little baby angels like playing a harp and a guitar and like say something to the man. Like like they weren't flying around everywhere. Like I didn't have one of those Isaiah, Isaiah six moments, like the cherubim flying around, holy, 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 like none of that. There wasn't lights flashing just felt something prompted upon my heart, man, say something to this guy. And usually what I'll, what I'll do, and it's so easy, you can kind of negotiate with the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying? You can negotiate with God. God, but are you sure? Like God is not sure of something. It's just comfort for me, right? Because really in that moment, I don't want to do what he wants me to do. And so I want to be disobedient. And, and I would never want to be disobedient out and openly and like, like just blatantly, right? So I try to get in this conversation with him to try to get him to change his stance and change his mind, which never works because when God calls you and tells you to do something, he's not like us as parents. Well, okay, maybe you can have a candy bar at midnight. Yes. Like that's never a good idea. So it's never like that with God. It's always he asks us and he prompts something on us because he wants us to do it. And so for whatever reason in that moment, me trying to be more aware of the spirit leading, the spirit dwelling, and and having the advantage of reading this week, knowing, knowing of seeing how the spirit interacts, knowing that the spirit spoke to Philip. So I think maybe like I said, the better question would be this, are you even listening? Are you looking for the spirit? And I get that there are some different things about the book of Acts, whether it's time or it's period or it's culture, but you cannot convince me, you cannot convince me that the only book that records the church's experience of following the Spirit has nothing in common with ours. You can't convince me that. I believe this is a beautiful picture of what we as a church should look like today. And so look at what the Spirit tells Philip. He says, go over there and join the chariot. First of all, the Spirit leads him to a crazy, ridiculous, makes no sense place. And then when he gets there, as he was obedient to the Spirit's leading, he gets there. Now the Spirit has got something for him to do. Go, join yourself with that chariot. And so what does Philip do? He runs to the, he runs. 
And he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And look at what the eunuch says in 31. He says to him, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit down with him. I mean, just look at what just happened, church. Look at what happened in the midst of all that's going on in Samaria. You've got this big crowd. You've got lots of people coming to know Jesus. You've got this crazy magician that kind of wants to be saved. I don't, we don't know what's going on with him, but the gospel's being shared. The Holy Spirit's falling heavy. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit gets him out of there, calls him to walk 165 miles down a nasty little road to Gaza. Why? Because God has been preparing a guy. God has been preparing a guy, so put yourself in his place for a minute. You know this had to be confusing for Philip. Why would I want to leave and go there? God, do you not see what's going on here? Do you not see what's happening? But see, what God was going to do, God was going to use Philip there. I can just imagine the question, what are you doing, God? What's happening? Why would you do this? But hear me, what may be happening in your life may have nothing to do about you. It may not be about you at all. It may be about that guy in the chariot that you're gonna meet later. It may be about that guy in the the restaurant that you're gonna see. It may be about about that guy that you're just gonna stand randomly in line with later this week. Maybe it has nothing to do. Why would you ever go to that place and shop? Maybe it's because you're not going to that place to shop. You're going to that place to fish. You, you, You catching what I'm saying? Who cares about the loaf of bread? You can get a loaf of bread anywhere. But God's called us to be fishers of men. And you can't just do that anywhere. There's places that God wants you to go fishing for hearts of man. So what's happening to you may not be about you at all. It could be that God has this guy or has a boss or has a friend or has a worker somewhere or has a community that he wants you to live in because he is preparing that place for what? The gospel, for what? For you to go and share and so the reality of what, what God does in Philip, it may free you this morning. Maybe that's why you're stuck in that situation. Maybe that's why you're stuck in this lousy job or this lousy circumstance or this, you name it. Maybe that's why you're there because it has nothing to do with you being there other than the fact that there's a day coming that God's preparing somebody for you to have a conversation with. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe that's what's going on. So God, why this person? Why that situation? So maybe that God's got somebody for you. The, the scripture's going, it says this. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading in verse 32 was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. He, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied to him. Who can des- describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And so this is a quote from the book of Isaiah chapter 53 which was written about who? Jesus, almost 800 years before his birth. And so Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would be like a lamb led to the slaughter, that he would be taken before the slaughter, that he would be wrongfully accused of crimes that he did not commit. But he would not even open his mouth. 800 years before this happens to Jesus, what do we have to look back on and say? We've got the book. What did Jesus do? He was led to the slaughter. He was abused, mistreated, beaten to the point of death. And what did Jesus say? Not a word. What did Jesus say? Nothing. Nothing. He he didn't beg. He didn't uh, argue with them. He didn't debate with them. He was silent. Silent. 
And so what we know about the scriptures, it all came true. Jesus stood before Pilate. He was accused of the most heinous crimes and even thought that, they even thought that he had done them, but he had not. He was not guilty, all the while stayed silent. And look what the eunuch says in verse 34. He says to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scriptures. He told him the good news about Jesus. Philip shares the gospel. Philip tells him the gospel shares with the eunuch Jesus. The gospel tells who Jesus is. That's the gospel. That's what I was getting to this week as I asked that guy about his church. I didn't care about his church. I cared about his savior. I cared about his soul. That's what I cared about. And that's what, that's what Philip does here. He, he shares with him Jesus. And so I just want to uh, alleviate maybe any stress that comes with that. You don't even have to be good at it. I've learned in my, in, my, like, in my time that you don't even have to be good at it. You just tell people about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. That's all you have to do. You don't have to get into an argument. You don't have to debate. You don't, you don't have to do any of that stuff. Just talk to them about Jesus and what he's done and what he's done for you. They can debate all they want to. They can get mad all they want to. But they can't get mad at your testimony and what he's done. They can't debate that. All I know is I used to be like this. A sorry, no good. Now I'm this. A saved, redeemed, compassionate, caring, loving, generous, gracious man. That's what I am. And hear me, there is nothing in me that merits that. There is nothing in me that runs to that. Everything in me says, Scott, be for Scott. Everything in me says, Scott, you should enjoy whatever you want to enjoy and you should live however you want. That's what me longs for. But Christ has come in and he has squashed that. And for whatever reason, he took this filthy, no good, lost sinner, redeemed him and rescued him by the way of his son Jesus. And now as a result of that, I am holy and righteous, not by anything that I've done, but by what God has done. That's all you have to do. Just tell them about Jesus and that's what Philip does. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And so I just wanna say this, the salvation part's the easy part. That's the easy part. God just uses, all we have to do is tell them about Jesus and then God in that rescues them and saves them. I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. He says this, he says, the center of salvation is the cross of Jesus. And the reason it is so easy to obtain salvation is because it costs God so much. He says the cross is the point where God and sinful man merge with a crash and the way of life is open, but the crash is all absorbed by the heart of God. Salvation is all God, not us. We do nothing. He's the one that saves. He's the one that rescues. He just uses us to, to, to share and spread the good news of the gospel. Verse 38 says this. It says, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So after you come to faith, what do you do? You get baptized. And what baptism is is simply this, saying that you belong to Jesus. That's what baptism is. I think maybe a good way to do it, maybe a good picture of what baptism is, it's like this. This, this is what baptism is. And you're like, okay, that's a wedding band. Yeah, that's a wedding band, but what that wedding band is to me is a reminder. It's a symbol. So if you see me walking down the aisle looking fine and all that good stuff, and what do you do? You look for first, what, the ring, right? So I got a ring, so I'm not available. Ah. <laughs> that illustration sounded better in my head. But anyways, <laughs> like anybody would ever do that with a guy. But what this is is a symbol. 
It's a symbol. And if you just see this ring laying around somewhere, it'd mean absolutely nothing to anybody. But if I see that ring laying around somewhere, it means a ton to me because what this, what this ring does for me every day reminds me of a commitment that I made, not to her, but to God. And then as a result of making that commitment, entering into covenant with God, it reminds me of the commitment and covenant that I made to her. To love my wife like Christ loves the church. To be faithful. To cherish. To value to help her flourish in everything that she does, to be a support to her. It, it reminds me to love her like Christ loves her. So it reminds me that, hey, when I look at this and I see this, what this reminds me is, Scott, you gotta die today. Like, like, Monday was a long day for me. It was a super long day for me. And Mondays are Mondays, are they not? I mean, just a month, we just had a case of the Mondays Monday. And so, but, but what this does is, is when I pull into the driveway and I come into my garage and I'm sitting there and there's been times where I've physically had to pray, God, help me, give me the grace I need. I'm about to unleash these boys. And when we go in that house, it gets crazy. I mean, there's toys everywhere. They'll grab and they'll throw. They'll, they'll be crazy. And then there are two boys and two boys, they just don't get along sometimes. So there's that and then she'll come in and dinner, and this, and that, and there's bath time. Oh, I love bath time, but I hate bath time sometimes because water goes everywhere, and you try to keep it in the tub, and you want to clean them, and then they never want to get clean, and it's just, it, like, it is like an Olympic sport bathing your kids. And then after that, we move to bedtime, and sometimes bedtime's easy. Like last night, we put the little guy down, and I don't think he went to bed at what, well, it's probably like 10, 30, 11 o'clock, so we get no, I get no boo time, you know what I mean? Like there's no time on the couch, just me and boo just hanging out there, just doing our thing, and what I mean by watching TV, relaxing. Scott, don't touch me, like, like that kind of stuff. We got no, like just decompressed time Monday. Crazy, they were wired. And so what this does is it reminds me, it's not about me on Mondays. What it reminds me is Tuesday, it's not about me. Wednesday, it's not about me. Thursday, it's not about me. No, I've made a commitment to God first and foremost. And through that, I want to do everything I can to live that out, to be that for her, what Christ has called me to be, what he's done for the church. So stuff like that, that's what this, it's a symbol. That's what baptism is, it's a symbol. Hey, I belong to this savior. I belong to the one that was crucified, buried, and has risen again, that has taken the sin of the world upon himself and has made a way where there's no way. I belong to him, I'm his. Bullseye here, I belong. It's a symbol of who I belong to because baptism doesn't save you. Contrary to other teachings, baptism does not save you. It's just an act of obedience whereby we as believers uh, obey Christ and walk into down with the old, up with the new, was dead, made alive, I belong to Jesus, here I am. That's what baptism is. It's a symbol, like this ring is a symbol. That's what baptism is, and the eunuch was moved in that moment. What keeps me from being baptized? What's keep, what keeps me from proclaiming to this world in this moment that I belong to Jesus Christ? And Philip says, man, not a thing. There's some water. Let's do it. They jump in the water, and he baptizes him. Baptizes him. So they command the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, he baptizes him. That's what you do. That's what this wedding, wing, wedding, wing, re, wedding ring is about. So this is just a sweet story of missions here that we find with Philip and this average guy. He's just an average guy who's walking with the Lord, listening to his voice. And what does he do? He goes where he's called and he ends up leading someone to faith in Christ. That's what happens when we're obedient to the Spirit. That's what happens when we're obedient to God's leading. But then the story goes from like cool to like, like super cool. 
Like if there's like any sci-fi like nerds out here, like this goes from like, like, like okay, an average cool like story to like something that is just unexplainable, phenomenal. I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't know how to describe. I don't know is what I'm gonna say here as I lead into verse 39. It says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And the eunuch goes on his way rejoicing. He baptizes him and then boop, he's gone. I think the most theological way to say it is that he was there, now he's not. Because the scripture, and this is, I mean, we'll just go with what it says. The Lord carried Philip away. That's it. That's how it happened. That, that, that's, and that's good enough for me. And well, he just saved a man. That is awesome. And so God had such a need to get him somewhere else that he just takes him in that moment. He just takes him in that moment and he goes. And it's just crazy. Yes, I know it's crazy. But he's there, Philip, telling about Jesus, and he baptizes the eunuch, and then boom, he's transported to another place. I don't, I don't want to say much more here because it can get goofy and weird, but that, that's just what happens. And all knows that he was there, now he's not. And the word of God is enough. And God had something else for him, and so he takes him to where he needs to be. He puts him in a place where he needs him to be. I don't know how, and I don't understand why. But what I do know is God had somewhere for Philip to go. And so let's just chat for a moment because I believe this is a beautiful thing that happens here. It had to be a great platform in which the, the unit could uh, explain the gospel to the guys carrying his chariot because at this time what it would be like, it would be like some guys carrying a chariot. There'd be about eight men carrying this chariot, this, this thing that he would sit on and, and had, had different things that he would uh, travel with and they would, they would carry it. And can you imagine as they're going, they're getting to hear the story. I mean, Isaiah 53, they hear it proclaimed. These servants of the eunuch, they hear it. And so history tells us that this chariot would be carried by men and these guys had probably, they've overheard that. They had to have overheard that conversation. And they get the command, just stop. Just, hey, stop for a second. And they get to watch everything that just happened and then bam, Philip's gone. So can you imagine the eunuch, he has this captive audience that he, gets to, that he could share the gospel with. And I know this is just interpretation. This is just kind of reading into. But I mean, can you imagine that moment? In verse 40, look what happens to Philip. But Philip found himself at Oztos, and he was passed through as he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so God uses this ordinary guy for the first mission trip. No training other than he loved Jesus. Hear me, church, you don't have to have training other than loving Jesus, and you just tell people about him. You just tell, God will do the work. God's the one that saves. It's all on him, not on us. We just need to be the mouthpiece whereby God uses. So God prepared Philip and God prepared the eunuch and then he brought the two together. And the preparation was all on God's side. He just needed someone obedient, someone willing. So my question for you as we close is this. Will you allow God to prepare you to be a direct agent of the gospel? Will you press in and will you seek and will you listen for the spirit to talk and to say? Will you listen for God to move in you and move around you and, and prepare you? Maybe it's at that horrible job. Maybe it's at that horrible community you live in. Maybe it's at the, you name it. But maybe it's not about you being there for that moment of suffering. Well, maybe it is about you being there for that moment of suffering because he's preparing you because he's got someone else that's gonna walk by one day that you're gonna have the opportunity to share with. You're gonna have the opportunity to tell about so will you allow God to use you this year to be a direct agent of the gospel as the band comes back up, as they lead us? I just wanna make you aware of a few opportunities. 
directly. The first one is our Saturday serve. We've got another one coming up in spring. We haven't put a date on it yet. I, I know that the nursing home, um, this has been awesome that there's been a group of people. I just love this. I just love this. There's been a group of people that says, man, we're gonna love on the nursing home. And so there's, there's been a team that's been put together. And, and so they're going, I believe it's February 16th to the nursing home. We'll put that, uh, we'll, we'll let you know more about that. We'll put it in the bulletin where they're gonna go and sing and just love on people at the nursing home. And we've done that a few times and it's just been an amazing opportunity to go and serve We've got our Saturday serve coming up here in the spring where we're gonna go out and we're gonna be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We'll get, get that out. We had, we had over 50 last, uh, uh, last quarter where we went out and we just served. We just did random stuff. We, built a, we helped repair a deck. We weeded the, the Oakland Elementary School where we just picked weeds out of their flower bed. We helped at the children's home downtown. We're just gonna go and serve. There's another opportunity directly the youth are going on a mission trip, spring break, March 30th through about April 6th. He's taken into Tennessee. Uh, there's a man that has uh, purchased this camp and he needs help getting it off the ground. It wasn't built for a camp and so he's renovating, he's doing stuff like that. And so it's gonna be almost like a Jerusalem project there where they're gonna go and they're gonna help clean out the woods. They're gonna help uh, raise walls and make bunk houses out of, out of the existing uh, uh, structures. So there's an opportunity to go and serve there. And then in the evening, what they're gonna do is they're gonna go to downtown Kingsport and there's a huge homeless population there. And so they're gonna go and they're gonna serve the homeless. They're gonna serve food to the homeless. Partner up with ministries downtown, get some street evangelism going, telling people about Jesus and giving them a sandwich, filling their bellies and then hopefully filling their souls. So there's an opportunity. We're finalizing some things that look like it's gonna be in West Virginia, maybe mid-July, end of July, into August, maybe an opportunity to go there. I don't know if it'll be a week or if it'll be kind of a long weekend, but there's an opportunity to go serve there whereby we can do the same kind of stuff, kind of Jerusalem Project type stuff, clean up, just get out of the community as a representation of this church there in West Virginia. And then we've got Jerusalem Project coming up in July. It'll be July 21st through 26th, whereby we, we hit our Jerusalem, our own backyard, and we go out and we serve and we give our life away. We, we, we build uh, ramps and we clean up and we do yard work and we, do, we just love on people. And so church, there's opportunity for, for missions directly. Not to mention where you're about to go after this, to eat, to your community, to work tomorrow. And there's never a moment we disconnect or unplug from that. And then there's opportunities indirectly. There's opportunities, and what I mean by that is I've just given you an opportunity this morning. I just showed you this morning with Brenton as he's about to go to Nepal and he's about to share with these men that are eager. I mean, I mean they are eager to hear about Jesus and to learn. I mean, like they are sponges. They take notes and they just listen. They hang on every word that he says about the scriptures. And so he's gonna to go to Nepal to that, uh, to that area where there's not a bunch of reached people groups. And he's gonna pour into pastors who are gonna go out and plant churches and see the gospel go forth to the world. And so we have an opportunity to partner with him, one, through prayer, and two, by financially giving. By financially giving. And so he's gonna leave January 31st and he's gonna come back around February 10th. He'll be gone for about 10 days doing that. And so I ask you to pray. He's gonna have some handouts for us next week that we can have, that we can look at, that we can put on our fridge or stick in on the table next to the, to the sofa or wherever that we can pray for and be reminded of him. But what we're gonna do this evening or this morning as we close is we're gonna have an opportunity to put into practice this and give and support. And he hasn't asked for a number and I'm not gonna tell you a number. And I just want you to be generous. Whatever God puts upon your heart to give with this love offering as we give this week and next week. If God stirs you to give, and it's not a guilt trip. If God stirs you to give, then you be obedient. You listen to the Holy Spirit.
And so I guess the thing that I will close and say is this, doesn't the urgency of the gospel demand us to take action? Doesn't the urgency of the gospel demand us to take action? So will you? God, help us this morning in this place. Be obedient. God, help us to hear your voice. God, help us to do what you, whatever it is you ask us. Oh, God, may we be intent by listening. God, maybe it's an audible voice. Maybe it's not. I've never heard the audible voice. I'm not saying that it can't happen. But God, what I get often is just promptings on my heart or a name that may run through my mind or a situation or circumstance that I reminisce on and in that, God, you, you place that person's face on my heart and I get to send them a text or give them a call or check on them. Or I'm in a random restaurant, have a conversation with somebody geared toward the gospel. So God, help us hear your voice. Help us do whatever it is you ask us to do. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you would stand, Eric's gonna lead us. If you need to come pray, if you want to talk more about missions, any of these trips, I'll be in the um, lobby after. We'd love to talk more about those things. We'll be getting more information out. But and you be obedient.